You're listening to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Show, a podcast to inspire physicians in the process of immigration to the United States and access to graduate medical education. We create meaningful and helpful content that motivates medical students and doctors throughout the world with the goal of creating a community that supports itself and gives feedback to each other, that stays updated with the most recent tips and advice on how to make it in America and become a successful resident or fellow in the speciality of your dreams. Dr. Alonso Osorio is board certified and residency trained in both emergency and family medicine and will be bringing you 20 years of his personal experiences, struggles and motivation. We'll be chatting with people like you to talk about the lessons they've learned along their personal path, how to make an impact and how we can all benefit from it. Also, we'll analyze the current resources available and how to benefit from them. Thanks for joining us. Please enjoy the show. Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Podcast. And this is Dr. Alonso Osorio, back again here on a Sunday afternoon in beautiful Florida and connecting, not for the very first time, but for the first time in our podcast with Dr. Daniela Rodriguez Cuellar. Dr. Daniela Rodriguez and I got in touch through the Facebook page that she runs, and I think we contacted ourselves through the USMLE chat group that we have on uh, WhatsApp, and we developed a, a nice connection. And I think uh, what it strikes me about her, uh, when I really have the opportunity to speak with many applicants, is the passion and the process and the desire that she has on accomplishing these goals. I mean, it's been a very lengthy process that started probably somewhere in between 2014, 2015 with the desire to come into the United States. So guys, this is uh, part number three of the residency interview series that has the purpose of giving us some interviewing skills for the incoming residency interview process. I know that you all have been concerned about uh, the lack of interviewing preparation and we just had in our episode, Dr. Shay Data on episode number 27, and she was phenomenal talking about this. So don't forget to reach out to her if you really want to get a fantastic mentor like her. I'm also very much available to you for any consulting. So please uh, go and visit my website. Dr. Daniela Rodriguez, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm extremely excited to have you on Zoom right now with me. It's, and it's been, uh, thank you for being flexible to schedule this today. Hi, Dr. Osorio. No, thank you. Thank you for your invitations and for giving me the opportunity to be here. I'm extremely excited because uh, I think you're going to be the perfect candidate and, and we're going to make sure that you find a residency program this year. And if it's this not year, we're going to make it the next year, but we are not giving up, right? Because yeah. that's what your, your Facebook group is all about. Residency in the USA, never give up. And Dr. Rodriguez, I'm going to tell you, Academically, there is no problems. She has had fantastic first attempt trials at every one of the USMLE steps. Step one, step two CS, step two CK, and step three. And she's uh, already certified by the Educational Commission of Foreign Medical Graduate. She attended medical education at El Colegio Nuestra Señora del Rosario, or what we call Nuestra Señora del Rosario University in Bogota, Colombia, that is one of the most prominent universities in my country, and, you know, always has been known that creates some of the best physicians in my country. So there is obviously no academic concerns for Dr. Rodriguez, and she has proven her medical knowledge already 
through successful accomplishment through the steps one, two, and three. And she's currently residing in Colombia. She's been back and forth, working in volunteering, and keeping up to date in her clinical practice. And we're sitting now potentially for the fourth residency interview matching attempt. Despite the fact that many of our listeners might say, wow, that's some serious perseverance. We have been talking for about 30 minutes before we jump on the microphone on, on what has she had done so far and, and where all this passion and motivation started from. So to begin our interview, Doctora, tell us about where the idea of coming to the United States to become a doctor and a pediatrician came from. Well, when I was in med- medical school, what I found out is that uh, there's a good like education. They, you can learn a lot, but there are some things that, that are missing, like lack of um, opportunities here in Colombia. Also, there's lack of research, and uh, there are not enough spots for you to, to do your residency, right? And uh, that's why I decided to go, like, to try to go outside uh, from Colombia and to look for new opportunities. In terms of pediatrics, well, uh, since I was in, in my medical school, I enjoyed a lot to work with kids. There's different kind of environment uh, when you work with kids, uh, and also it's it motivated me uh, to help them and to give them the opportunity to have a, a health, a, a better health. Right. Perfect. Okay. As I'm looking here at your prior attempts, obviously, we go back to the uh, first one in 2017, then you followed by 2018, and now with 2019. I'm going to be a straightforward with you. What do you think it happened the first time that you decided to kind of submit your application for the match? What do you think were your props, the things that you were doing well, and the things that you probably, looking back, thought that were not probably set up from the very beginning? Well, when I started, I didn't ask for help. I didn't have enough uh, information about the match, about all the process. Before I did some uh, observerships there, but I don't know, I, I didn't ask much uh, to the residents or to the doctors about this process. And I was just like kind of lost. That's the principle, like, the, yeah, what happened. Also, um, I think that I didn't have enough um, information about how to do my CV, how to prepare the PS, the personal statement, because here we are not uh, trained for that. We like for me personal. I didn't know what was personal statement. I didn't know that, and I just started like writing, you know, but I didn't have like information about that, and nobody guided me. That's basically what happened. And that's a very common situation. And I'm going to tell you that's how it went for me. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, you're not the only one that is going through this concern. Sometimes you just think that you're just going to wing it. And the American applicants and some of the foreign medical graduates that have been here in the United States, they've been writing personal statements for a while and getting some professional you know, coaching on how to do it properly. And 
Many of our guests keep stating over and over how important it is to write a personal statement that is a, obviously a dynamic and ever-changing piece of paper like this personal statement that you're going to be writing for 2020 application is not the same one that you had for 2017 because many things have changed in your life and many things have changed not even professionally but as a person you have grown and circumstances have completely changed drastically specifically now with the COVID so that's one of the most common mistakes knowing how to properly write a, a personal statement. You also said that um, the curriculum vitae, the resume was not properly structured. Is that correct? What do you think it happened there? Yeah. Well, here in Colombia, it's completely different when you write a, your, your resume. So again, I, I didn't have like guidance. I didn't have nobody like to guide me and to know what I should write, how I should write. Because one thing is what you have done, but the way you write it and the way you, you give the message is super important. That w that's what I've noticed through like all this, what I'm going through, yeah. So I think that was that, but also uh, I think that I didn't have uh, enough things to offer what I mean is that I didn't have like enough experience like in clinical experience or experience as a physician. So I didn't have like more much information to write in the CV, right? Yeah, I think that that's basically. When you went for the interviewing process, you think uh, this didn't give you a confidence to introduce yourself in a more relaxed fashion, you know, Obviously, when we potentially think and we probably know deep down inside that we have a very, very weak application and you submit that paperwork through the ERAS, you just don't feel that it was right and you still kind of go with it and you say, I'm just going to wing it and see what happens. And then you yeah. invest thousands of dollars and how much money you spend the first time around. Mm, I don't remember, but it was a lot of money. I think it was like, no, I don't remember. Like $4,000, I don't even remember, but I know that it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's go back to 2017. How many programs did you apply and did you apply only to pediatrics or you had other considerations during the first attempt? No, I didn't. There's another thing about that because I didn't know that I could apply to other programs. So uh, right now it's different because... There's a lot of people that they apply to different programs to increase the, like, their chances. The, their chances, right? I didn't know that, but I applied to 97 programs. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I pretty much did every single residency program in emergency medicine across the country that it was non DL that was willing to take foreign medical grads. And I'm going to tell you, I think I it was more than 135 programs, if I do remember correctly. Many things have changed. I know that, and what strikes me the most, Daniela, is when we spoke over the phone, I, I'm impressed by the path that you have created for yourself called the Road for Success. And she has this beautiful, laid out, colorful, very well-written, mm -hmm. personal path of a structure on how she has this personal improvement plan that is starting from 2017 and goes all the way across 2020 and she highlights her props and mostly her weaknesses and she calls them mistakes 
as she kept saying, initially she thought that she went in without uh, proper information about what was the USMLE process like for the ERAs. She felt that she was not prepared for the interviewing skills and actually interviewing in Colombia or anywhere across the country is very different. Culturally, it's extremely different in the United States. The type of interview setting is extremely, you know, bizarre for us because we're not ready for it. And there is a cultural fear, you know, because you come to the United States and you're meeting with an American doctor and, and sometimes they look different than, than us and you, you just get remarkably overwhelmed by fear and you're like shaking and sweating and you lose confidence. And even if you had a good resume, a good personal statement, you just don't portray the type of nonverbal message or verbal message you actually intended to do on the very, very beginning. Also, you kept saying that you didn't have enough contact. Tell us about that. Uh, you, f you felt that you didn't have enough contact. Um, yes. Yeah, so when uh, I did my, most of my observerships, I did them during my internship. And so I had the opportunity, like my university helped me with that. My medical school helped me with that. And I did my observerships in, in, in Miami. And when I start uh, like doing my observerships, I didn't realize that it was super important to have contacts. So yes, I talk with the doctors. Yes, I try to do my best, but that's it, right? I didn't ke like keep contact with with them. I just kept contact with one doctor, and the saddest thing, or I don't know, I was maybe at that moment uh, I didn't have luck but she uh, she passed away so I lost contact she died the, huh? yeah she died the only contact that I had was her and then I lost so uh, then I was like now what I'm going to do right my letters of recommendations were not good I tried to contact other doctors uh, with whom like I did the observership but they never uh, replied back and I know maybe they were super busy uh, there are many doctors that are, they are not sure to give uh, a letter of recommendation because there is their name there right so uh, it that happened so then I realized that I really needed a more context and For me, the way to get context for, was during the interviews, was doing the other attempts that I did. I met a lot of people. I met a lot of applicants who have uh, helped me. And then I had the opportunity to make a research in Colombia, in, in New York. And I got contact with other doctors And also the residents, well, my friends, that they are my friends right now, they are doing the residency. They have helped me also with the contacts. They have helped me uh, with um, the CV, with the interviews. Yeah, that's the way I've, I've got more, more contacts because in the past I didn't have enough. And you know what? Right now, what I've realized is that it's super important. More than your CV, more than your scores, it's very important to know somebody can help you. And that's not in, only in the U.S., it's everywhere. Everywhere you need to show, like, who you are, yeah? 
because if not, nobody is going to believe you. That's that's sad, but it's the truth. Correct. No, and I tell you the truth. I think uh, having a network that will support you and having some strong letters of recommendations of somebody that can speak on your behalf is rather mm -hmm. huge. I see that um, you did your observerships very early on in 2015, 2016, you know, through the Jackson Memorial Hospital. I guess it was the William J. Harrington Latin American yeah. Training Programs. Mm -hmm. I, I think it was a phenomenal experience with me, but you felt that the layers of recommendations that you tried to get from them, they were not probably strong enough, correct? Well, I couldn't get letters. Really? Like, I couldn't get, I just get the letter that the, like the Harrington program gives to you, but from the doctors, uh, I couldn't. What would you say that is the, the right way to obtain an, a strong letters of recommendation? What does it take? from an applicant to get a good LOR? You have to show them that you are 100% committed, that you desire to be there. For me, I was, again, I was lost. Maybe I didn't have the desire and I didn't show the desire enough to them. I didn't know what to do. But now that I've talked to many Uh, uh, candidates and residents what I've noticed is that you have to show them that that's what you want and that you are as good as other uh, uh, residents as American uh, doctors and last week I talked to with a doctor and she told me I go to the hospital from Sunday to Sunday If I can go and do the night shifts with the residents, I would go. Yeah. So that's the thing you have to show them. So she pretty much told you, you need to commit yourself and expect yeah. quite a bit of sacrifice. Being there, if it's necessary, 12, 24 hours a day, overnight shifts, getting in touch with people, showing that you actually care doing the tough hours, spend, spending the money, spending the time going through, you know, that's, that's, that's what you need to do. Like people really, you need to suffer to obtain a letter of recommendation. It's not that easy. If you want to be excellent, you have to show that you are, that you have to behave as an excellent person. Yes, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. That was awesome. You also kept uh, writing throughout your, your road to success that you felt that you didn't have good communication skills. I mean, yeah. lack of communication skills more like the spoken English or? Well, for me, I learned uh, English since I was in my school and in, in my elementary school. But I think that I didn't trust myself i didn't trust my english at the beginning since the beginning so it i, I was like so scared when i was doing in the interviews i didn't know how to express myself enough to them like to them to believe me that i'm a good physician or you know And I think that that was the first thing I thought that my English was not good, but also not that. Is that, for example, here in Colombia, sometimes you talk and talk and talk and you don't go to the point. In the U.S., it's completely different. 
Yeah, people you know? are cutthroat, get to the point, stop beating around the bushes, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and I didn't have a, enough, like, I wasn't trained for that. Got it. And, and, and I know that since you felt that that was a weakness, you hire a personal interview coach. But this coach that you initially hired was an American Colombian guy that was kind of really training you for overall interviewing skills in any type of business situation, but not specifically targeted to medicine. Despite the fact that you felt that it was not that good, I think you probably learned some good stuff. And I don't know if any tips that you kind of picked up along the way with him. Yes. He gave me some tips about my communication, how the eye contact, the importance of the eye contact of your body language, also how to answer uh, some questions because, well, uh, it doesn't matter if you are a doctor or not, but they are always going to ask you like this, probably the same questions like who you are, tell me about yourself, right? So he helped me with that. What he told me is that most of the time my uh, answers were so long. So he told me, like, you have to go to the point. You need to give them the message, right? That's basically what he told me. But, for example, I didn't know about how to dress up. Really? Uh, Tell us more about that. I didn't know. So uh, nobody told me that it was important to to use a, to wear a suit um, you know I didn't know that um, to that maybe if you want to you to wear a um, skirt you can wear it but it, it doesn't have to be like short I didn't use a short skirt of course but there are some things that you think that they are not important but for them they are Mm-hmm. So when I went in my first interview, I I used a nice clothes, you know, but they were not for an interview. For example, that happened to me when I went in the first interview. I just like start talking and talking and talking, but I I I didn't know what they were asking me because there's something important when they ask you something, you need to. Like there's other questions in the, in the question, inside the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They want to say something, but they really mean something else. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And he also helped me with that. You need to understand what they are asking you, but he, he didn't have experience, a training, a resident applicant, well, like applicants for the residency. You come across as a very sweet, soft-spoken lady. Mm-hmm. I don't know if uh-huh. they have told you potentially that you need to affirm yourself, show mm-hmm. and portray more confidence on who you are to display through your verbal message how good of a clinician and an, how academically strong you are and you can be, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, Daniela, no, I've been impressed by the commitment that you have had. Well, we've been working on communication skills. You've been working on getting the proper information about the programs. I guess that you have narrowed the residency programs that you wanted to apply 
in the United States and, and you know that you want to uh, do pediat pediatrics, is there any specific geographic locations in the United States that you would like to be potentially doing residency training? Will it matter? Or if an opportunity happens to be in Alaska, are you willing to go all the way down mm -hmm. to Alaska? I don't know. Tell me, how do you feel about that? Well, at the beginning for me, it was okay uh, to go anywhere. Right now, I have more friends. I have more contacts like close to New York. So yeah, I would like to be there. But at the end, you know, If I get the residency, whatever I can get, I will be happy because my, my dream is to do my pediatric residency there in the U.S. So, yeah. How do you think the fact that you have applied three times will make you a stronger applicant or the opposite could potentially affect you for this interviewing cycle? Well, I think that more than a negative thing is a positive thing because you can show them how perseverant you are, how resilient you are, and what you are doing to improve yourself. Love it. Yes. I think that there's no negative thing. There's no negative thing for me, because what I've been thinking is that maybe if I um, would get the, the residency in the past, in my first attempt, I wouldn't be who I am right now. How have who you I become. How have you changed? How has this process changed you as a person? Oh, I have changed a lot. So right now I have more experience as a physician. I trust in myself more when I, I'm deciding something about a patient, about a treatment. I, I have more experience. I'm more sure about what I have to do to help. Also, I have been reading a lot to uh, not just improve as a physician, but to improve myself as a, like personally, right? Uh, at the beginning, I didn't trust in myself. That's the truth. Yeah. And that's what I was showing in the interviews. So if I don't trust myself, who is going to trust me? Correct. Nobody, right? So right now I trust myself. I know who I am. I know what I'm doing. I, I've been doing a lot of things. I have a map in my room about my dreams. And I have pictures in my room about what I want. And I look to them every day. And now I, I'm sure what I want. I'm sure what I don't want. You know? Lots of visualization. How has yeah. been the support from your family, your friends, your loved ones through this process, both financially spiritually, probably many tears on the path to success, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, uh, my parents have been always there, not just my parents, my brothers. I have an awesome brother that he's the, the one that have helped me during this process, but also he, he doesn't know it, uh, like about the, he's not a, a physician, right? So he gave me some like advices, but he was also kind of lost about that. Um, my parents always have been there. They helped me with the, with paying the, the test, the steps. They helped me with the first uh, application. But, you know, like I have many things. I could go to a good um, medical school, but also because I had a scholarship. So there's not like a lot of money. With, we are not well. 
<laughs> so you're, I had, you're not super rich, but yeah, definitely yeah. you're probably like mid upper class in Colombia. Yeah. And that plays a huge role on potentially giving it a shot at, at taking these chances, right? Yeah. And they help me. They, they always support me. Um, but the thing is that sometimes I can be a kind of a stubborn and really? I don't like to listen much. So I think that also that was my mistake. I didn't listen. However, they help me with everything. They always have been there. My friends, super supportive, but more the friends that have been uh, like the friends that I've met during this path. They have helped me a lot, giving me advices because they are uh, going through the same thing. So that's the other thing. Uh, I'm not alone. At the beginning, I felt that I was alone. I felt that nobody understand me, uh, that nobody was going to help me. Uh, but right now, uh, it's different because I've met a lot of people that have shown me support and also because they understand me, uh, like they understand all this process. What would be the best thing that could happen in 2020 for you? What would be, despite that, that it's been a rough year professionally, financially for everybody across the world, what would be the goal and the biggest achievement of what you could accomplish for 2020? The first thing is to get my uh, residency. That's, that's number one. That's number one, but that's for 2021, right? Yes, the, the, cycle, <laughs> I call it the 2020, 2021 cycle. Yeah. So the first thing is my residency, but also I want to, I want to have the opportunity to help other people who have gone through the same path, through the same experience. And I would like to become a better person. Um, I know that I'm a better person right now but I would like to improve more myself so I could um, help my patients and help my colleagues and yeah how much of your time on, on a regular day do you dedicate to this process out of well, 20, yeah out of the 24 hours that we have available in a day how much you think you're spending on working on this well right now things have been changed for me a lot because now I know what I want, now I, what I really desire with my heart. So since I wake up, I'm thinking what I'm going to do to improve myself and my CV and my application. So everything that I, that I do right now is because I want to get that. So I think that, the, I don't know, like the 20, 20 hours of the day, I'm thinking, because the other hours I'm sleeping, right? But <laughs> the other hours, I'm working on that. I'm looking what I'm going to do to improve myself, what I'm going to do to improve my CV. Right now, eh, I'm working on research eh, remotely. I'm also eh, always reading about medical topics eh, to be up to date. I'm working uh, from home to help my patients here in Colombia. So I uh, do telemedicine. Yes. Yeah. Mm, everything that I do is for my application. Wow. 
tell us what has been so far probably the toughest moment that has made you shed most of tears probably the moment that you felt lost down depressed that you felt that this was not going through and that you really decided to just kind of wake up and keep pushing it this third attempt was the the most hard one because i really tried tried really hard to get this mm -hmm. and Well, I have many people there in New York and in the U.S. that I would like to be with. But also because, you know, I think about what my parents think about me. And uh, I want them to be proud about me. And it's difficult to say, to tell them I didn't pass. Yeah, It's super hard. And also, again, also I have them, also I have my friends here there's some point that you feel that you are alone mm -hmm. that that nobody is, is going to understand you and that you don't have money mm -hmm. you don't have money to do more because i would like to do more um rotations i would like to you know to go and look for more opportunities but uh, another thing is that you need money for that yes We have spoken about the financial commitment and one of our recent guests, he was lucky enough that he had some side gigs and, and some extra income coming. But I'm going to tell you the truth, at the moment of my life that I needed most of the financial support, my father lost the job that he had had for 20 years. And I had to really literally help myself with a few dollars working here in the United States literally as an illegal immigrant, cleaning toilets and washing dishes. And, you know, sometimes people are not uh, humble enough to, to accept it, but I'm not afraid of saying that, you know, I did what it had to be done and the necessary things that I had to do to make it in America. I gave tennis lessons for $15 an hour, $25 an hour, so, you know, whatever it took, I cleaned cars, washed cars, you know, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a matter of, of how much you want it. And, Have you found any people along this path that have been negative or discouraging that are always like that thorn on your toe that it's a negative person? And, and what have you done to stay away from them? I'm not, I don't know if that's the case. Well, not negative. Like there's nobody that have told me like you are not going to get it. No, uh -huh. but like when you go to the Facebook groups, There's a lot of people tell you, you have to have a lot of observership. You have to have uh, a research. You have to have a step three because if not, you are not going to get it, mm -hmm. right? But what I've uh, found in this path is that there's not a must. There's not a, like a, a rule for it. It like each person Uh, has done his or her things and what matters is how you sell yourself during the interview that's oh what God, that, that's so true to our listeners as dr rodriguez just said you know the experience the process is going to be completely, completely different, different for each one of us The successes that somebody did are going to be completely different to other ones. The amount of money invested by one person is going to be different than the amount of money invested by the other person. You cannot really compare it, you know? 
we have to understand that we come from different nationalities and there is physicians flocking into the United States from every single part of the world. And, you know, in this case, Dr. Rodriguez happens to be Colombian like I am. And, and I feel really good about that. But, you know, it's, it's a process that no matter how many people you see on the internet that are giving you, I did this, I did that. I took a step three before I submitted my first application, you know, you don't have to have a step three. I mean, you, I know that you, Dr. Rodriguez, uh, went ahead and did that. You felt that it was a weakness not having it during the first process. So I know that in 2018, you sat down and you were successful at passing that. And and that's obviously a plus because if you get a residency inter, uh, position that might be able to offer you an H1, you know, visa, that having the step three is going to make it much easier. Have you thought anything about the immigration process and have you dedicated any thought or any concerns that you might have in one type of visa you're going to end up having, if it's going to be a J-1 or an H-1? Do you think uh, the visa status makes a, a significant emphasis on, on what applications you do to what programs or not? Well, what I know is that it's better to have H-1 because we'll have like more opportunities and you will not have to think about what is going to happen after you finish your residency. But for me, it doesn't matter which, which visa you get. Once you are there, if you uh, are so like, if you are so sure about what you want and if uh, you show uh, other people uh, who you are, you then you can do your fellowship and then you can get again the, the J1, extend it, and finally, uh, with, with a, um, a hard work, you will get a other kind of visa. Yeah, or a waiver, right? Uh, yeah, or a waiver. Daniela, when you and I were talking about how your family felt and how sad you were to let them know and potentially make them not feel disappointed about you, I bet you do this for yourself, but I bet that your family is so much behind you that you just kind of really gets to your heart. I saw probably potentially shedding some tears there, huh? Yeah, because uh, I'm not alone, you know, like what I feel my parents are going to fail as well sure uh, and uh, for me it's difficult to show them like i'm super sad you know i don't i don't this uh, third cycle was hard for me like when i did uh, found out that i didn't match the next day i couldn't uh, wake up i no couldn't more. I was like crying i was watching tv i was super sad but when I looked to my parents, they were so worried about me. And then I was like, you know what? I have to do something. I can't stay here like crying and just like behave as a victim. No, I have to do something. And my parents were super worried. My brother was worried. My friends, you know. So right now, I'm... This, what I'm doing, of course, is because of me, but also because of them. Because if I'm unhappy, they will be happy. Yeah. I would say just think about yourself and don't put yourself to too much psychological pressure. It's like playing. I'm a tennis <laughs> fan. I'm a tennis fan. And I'm going to tell you, having had been a, a very competitive junior player, I think that the times that I did the worst 
is when I was doing things for my parents and not for myself. I guess that if I'm happy for myself and I think I'm doing the best for myself, I think your parents will always be there no matter if you're sick or healthy, if you're rich or poor, if you're in the United States or in Colombia, it doesn't matter where you're going to be. You know, our, our parents' support is unconditional and they're always going to be there for us, you know? And I can assume that probably by now, the amount of financial investment is probably larger than $25,000 this far? Well, right now, I'm still owing money from the second application and I'm going to the fourth application, so you can imagine. But you know, like my parents are trying to help me. I'm working here to pay that money. <laughs> saving, 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 saving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. So obviously, I know where all this motivation is coming from, but exactly how you came up with the idea of creating the Facebook group called uh, USAA Residency Match and why you gave it the title, quote, never give up, unquote. Okay, so uh, that idea, I already had the idea in the past, but sometimes you, you always say, like, I don't have time, there's no time for me, always. But when I didn't match for the third time, and I start uh, reading the messages in the other Facebook groups, there were a lot of people, you know, like saying, I don't know what I'm going to do, I didn't match, I'm super sad. And I also wrote a, a text uh, telling people, like, I'm super sad. I don't know what to do. And there were some people that wrote me uh, in Messenger, Facebook Messenger, and they were, like, uh, telling me, they were, um, hey, I'm sad also. I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm lost. They were very empathetic. There huh? were a lot of people that they were telling me that. And I was feeling the same. So I was like, I think that now this is the opportunity to help others. If, uh, if I help myself, I can help others. And also they are going to help me mm-hmm. as well. That's a very altruistic uh, perspective. Uh-huh. And so I asked, them in in another group like what do you think if I create a group to help each other and there were a lot of people that were like hey there's a that's a really good idea what has been the acceptance of the community this far oh my god they are like super happy with that I was when I created that I was like oh my god I'm I'm not a media person I'm not a media person I don't like to go to Instagram. I don't like that because I think that is so stressful to know how many members you have, right? Oh yeah. Tell me about uh, that. I'm always looking <laughs> how many people how many people have subscribed to my podcast. How many reviews do I have? How many stars have they left? Uh-huh. It was so stressful for me. But right now I have, if I'm not wrong, like one point three K members. Wow, uh, one thousand three hundred members, huh? Yeah, for from me, all, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. From all nationalities? Yeah. That's yeah. impressive. Um, and, 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 and I've seen that everybody contributes with a little bit of something every day, right? Yeah, that's nice. I always try to write something that what I've done, because the truth is that I'm in the same boat, basically in the same boat as many people. And, well, maybe I can't uh, give them like 
a lot of advices, but what I try to tell them is what I'm doing. What I'm doing to improve myself, what I'm doing to improve my CV, that maybe it will help them. And also when I write, there's a lot of other people that decide to write also to help others. So that's really nice. That's really nice. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. I think your message, the reason why Dr. Rodriguez is here is because in the next episode, we're going to try to see what's going to be the strategy for this year's potential interviewing match. But what she has done so far, I think we, we can all learn from it because she realized initially that she potentially went into the eras with not a perfect resume or CV and didn't have the right personal statement. She failed. She went back again. She polished herself. She had phenomenal uh, step one, two, and then she took the step three. She did it again, and she potentially saw that she needed to improve her communication skills in English and potentially change a little bit of, on the dress code, and she was already seasoned with the first application process. She knew what to look for, and you know, the third time around that she thought that finally was going to be the final break. When it didn't happen, potentially she felt a little bit depressed. So all this just goes to show that once you're on the other side of the pond, what I call it, it's not an easy process, that there has been a lot of financial, personal, spiritual commitment. And when you make it, it's not something that you accomplish yourself. There has many people involved in the process and that's why we cannot give up. And that's what I keep telling people. And when they contact me, doctor, do you think I could ever make it happen? I say, yes, you will. You just cannot ever hesitate that you're not going to make it happen. And guess what? There is more likelihood that you will actually match than, than not. And, and I think it's going to happen for you, Dr. Rodriguez. So I'm not truly concerned about it. I think uh, what we're going to do is probably continue to grow over the nine, nine to 12 months. And I'll be extremely excited for you if we accomplish your dreams. And, and I think you will, because I see a passion on your eyes. I, I would say my personal advice, just let that passion because when you speak from your heart, it just comes out so nicely and I see it in your eyes. And mm -hmm. I think it's what it has to come across during the interviewing process. I already know that you want it so bad. Just tell me what is about Dr. Rodriguez that is going to make her a phenomenal applicant, right? And I think it's going to come across because I see it. I see it within you. Daniela, let me ask you a question. You've gone through three interview processes. Have you attended any of the night before or the pre-interview dinners? And tell us about what's been the experience like. Mm, well, I just went to one pre-dinner because the other programs where I got the interviews, most of them were community hospitals. And most of the community hospitals doesn't do, don't do the, the pre-dinner. But I had an interview in the second cycle. I had an interview in Nebraska, in Omaha, Nebraska. Oh. And uh, I went to the pre-dinner. For me, it was a little bit weird <laughs> because I was the only Hispanic there. So when I went, again, I didn't know how to, which kind of clothes I had to, to wear. We went to a restaurant. They were super, like, you know, wearing jeans. They, super they, casual. Yeah, super casual. And when I went, um, they were nice. Mm -hmm. They were nice, but I felt weird. I felt that I didn't belong to there. 
because I was scared also about my English, about how to communicate. I I was um, insecure. Uh, so yeah, that's what happened in that pre-dinner. What time but, of the year was in Omaha? October, November? It was... A December. It was super it was pretty, cold. <laughs> pretty cold, snowy, and I can tell you, I, I know how you felt. It probably took you to downtown Omaha by Market Street. It's uh, super cold, super chilly, and the people are so nice, but I tell you the truth, I agree with you. The way Americans carry themselves for this pre-interview process is pretty chill. They have jeans, uh, yeah. button-up shirts sticking out, just regular, you know, tennis shirts or, or, you know, they're pretty relaxed. Some of them show up in scrubs. The real deal happened the it day after, the interview. morning of the interview. Yeah. What, was the, what was the day of the real interview for you? Do you wake up early? Do you stay in a hotel? Do you have to drive in? How was it? What was it like? Okay, so it has been different in each, in each uh, cycle. The first time I... I remember I stayed in a hostel in, in New York. It was fun because I shared the room like with six people. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was looking to save money. You know, New York is, is super expensive. expensive. Uh, so I was looking, yeah. But it was nice because I met a lot of people. Um, now I have friends from that I met there. But uh, that day I woke up super early uh, I'm always super anxious I'm always anxious I'm always like trying to get ready with time uh, the first uh, cycles I what I did is that the day before the two days before I would go to the to the hospital and to know where is it right to, how not to get to, around how to yes. get around to not be late the day of the interview. So most of the time, that's what I've done. Go the days before to know where is the the address and the location of the hospital. And the day of the interview, I used to wake up early to uh, dress up and to get ready for, for the interview. Sometimes in New York, for example, sometimes you don't know what's going to happen with, with the train. But also, if if you are like me, I don't know, maybe in in Omaha, uh, what happened is that uh, they paid for the hotel for the hotel. Okay. Yeah. So there's uh, somebody that picked me up. Yeah. So there were some residents that picked me up and took me to the to the hospital. But in New York, you have to go by yourself, so you have to be sure to be ready with time because you don't know what is going to happen with the train. Also, if you are going to a Uber, to a, you need to know a, how much time it will take for you to get there. Yeah. And once you walk into a hospital, American hospitals could be a little bit overwhelming and a little bit crazy and disorganized sometimes. And I'm saying disorganized because these hospitals grow around one single structure so they have tower a and then the tower a became tower b and then the tower c and sometimes the floors change directions and 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 it's literally a maze and they're huge and 
the hallways are forever, all the doors sometimes look alike, mm -hmm. the place is cold sometimes, people are, you just feel in a surreal world. I, I mean, mm -hmm. right now I'm, I'm taking myself back and I feel that, is that feeling, do I belong here? Yeah. yeah. Why am I here? Do, <laughs> It's a weird feeling that I cannot describe, but I, I would say if you're there, it's because you own it and people feel mm -hmm. that you probably have yeah. the qualities and enough attributes to be there. So I would say just a step like you mean it, step in and, and be confident. And, and there is, you know, always hesitation about it, but it's normal of humans to get a little bit anxious about the unknown, right? But yeah. the, the interview is weird because you walk sometimes into this classroom or, you know, a hall or, you know, a big meeting room and there is a bunch of more applicants like you with the same little folder, you know, with papers and a pen and they're all dressed up sometimes the same or similar. And then your names start being called out by the attending. Sometimes you get a minor brief interview and it's, it's just bizarre. When you went for your interview, which one of them was the most memorable and potentially something that you can tell us that was probably either funny or special or do you felt good or bad about? Um, well, what I can remember about one interview is that, uh, yeah, it was in Philadelphia. It was in, in my first cycle. I went to the interview. I At the beginning, I thought that everyone was looking at me, you know, like, You think that if you are going to move your arm, everyone is going to look at you. But okay, so I went to the interview and they were super nice at me and they were uh, asking me many questions, but I didn't know how to answer the questions. Also, um, I remember that one of the interviewers, she talked to me about a book that she was reading. I didn't know about the book. She uh, spoke a little bit in Spanish, but I wasn't sure if I should talk to her in Spanish or not. And then I didn't, uh, at that point, what I talk about my hobbies. So, you know, like I told her, yeah, I... I know some books, but I was super lost and she could notice that on me. Yeah. And the other thing is that uh, most of the time when I have interviews and they ask me, okay, you have questions. Hey guys, this is super important. You have to ask, but you need to ask things that there are not in the webpage that are not uh, that you really don't know. Right, because that's how they are going to notice if you know about the program or not. Yes, I, I would tell you, and we have spoken about this in the past. You really need to be extremely careful because you don't want to ask a redundant question of something that has been already mm -hmm. explained by the residency page or the or the welcoming package that they gives in the morning. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. that you don't even know the name of the program director, etc. Mm -hmm. That's just extremely embarrassing. It's By the way, Daniela, I think, I think now that I've been here in the U.S. for 20 years, you know, you know, something where I have really continued to kind of get to know the American culture is about the humor and watching comedy, <laughs> stand-up comedy yeah. has, has been enlightening because the humor is so different. The humor is loaded mm -hmm. with, with um, what is happening in the country politically. Mm -hmm. um, this country is polarized by race. Uh, mm -hmm. This country is polarized by immigration. 
this country is polarizing the politics of who's the Democrat or a Republican and about specific characters in the, in the, in the, of the pop culture. So I would say for me, the news about the United States keeps me always kind of involved on what's going on on the culture in the United States and a stand-up comedy and like the Netflix special from, from any comedian, especially the classic American comedians. I, I think it's a good way to, to get um, some just simple topics. And, and I think you and I had spoken about uh, this is during the interviewing process. It's not to prove anymore that you're academically proficient because we know already that mm -hmm. with those phenomenal step one, step two, and step three, you can make it. You're certified. You, you pass the screening process. They just want to know that you're just a cool person to work mm -hmm. with. And that's how you need to sell yourself. You know, I'm a cool lady. I'm Dr. Rodriguez. I think I'm fantastic. I'm great for your program. I'm going to match. I'm going to make the best out of this. I'm not going to be a crazy resident. I'm not going to do drugs. I'm not going to be disturbing. I'm not going to snap. I'm going to mm -hmm. be on time. I'm going to do my 24-hour shifts, whatever it takes with no problem. I'm willing to commit, read, educate myself. And not only that, you know, I'm here to, to have fun with you guys. So I think... Uh, gonna be be fine dr rodriguez i, th I think it's gonna be phenomenal one more last question obviously the post-interview communication mostly will happen with the residency program coordinator how important do you feel is having good rapport and communication with the residency coordinator because sometimes they could be really brief really intimidating and they seem that they're in control and they are really filtering the information they're passing that information to the program director correct yeah um so i think that is really important because they are the first a uh, person that you are going to be in contact with so the way that you write to them that you are a nice person you know that a uh, you are a um, that you have to be aware of how they're gonna reply back that what you mean the feedback that they give you on the email not the feedback but uh, sometimes when you write they write you that you have to uh, reply them uh, early that uh, oh, okay what dr rodriguez is going to talk about is extremely important to have a good connection with the residency uh, program coordinator and be really prompt and ready to reply to them at a convenient time and not to like keep them waiting forever you need to be really on top of your game when you try to establish email or phone mm -hmm. communications with the mm -hmm. residency coordinators, correct? Yes. Yes, you have to, uh, when you reply back to them, you have to be prompt. You have to always like looking in your phone that if you have an email from them, because that's the way that they will notice that you are a... Um, interested that you're that you are interested in in the program that's basically and also uh, you can ask them about the transportation they always look for to help you if you have a problem with your flight if you have a problem with the bus you know the bus ticket and everything if you let them know what is going on they are going to help well, I think you're going to do fantastic during this residency match. I'm going to bring you over in our next interview to talk about potentially behavioral questions. I want to talk a little bit further about communication skills, questions regarding communication skills, reliability, 
organizational skills that an, an applicant, a doctor, or a medical student has to have, how compassionate they are, do they have integrity, motivation, emotional control, medical knowledge obviously is there, but sometimes there is some loaded questions on, on, on medical knowledge and obviously questions regarding clinical performance. And one thing that I think is crucial is something that we call behavioral questions that are pretty much resigned to bring up the red flags about the applicants. And they concentrate mostly on patient care, professionalism, problem-based learning, and they really want to know if you're a, a normal person that will stay away from unethical behaviors mm-hmm. and, and that you will able to perform like a normal citizen of the world during residency programs. So I would say that that's going to be the topic of our next conversation. Dr. Rodriguez, this is only the very beginning of this lengthy process. I would say 2020 is going to bring you some many, many other good things. I know we're trying to overcome COVID, but I think it's just going to get better. The perspective is going to be awesome. And and we're super excited to bring you back into the next uh, episode, probably, and talk about behavioral questions and things that you have learned along the path on really tricky questions and things that they might ask you during the interviewing process that might give our listeners some tips of advice. I tell you the truth, I almost cry during certain parts of the interview. It's uh, <laughs> remarkably motivational, but I think you're doing everything right. I've been here for 20 years. I tell you through have met many people. I think the passion comes through your eyes. I think uh, I can see your soul and you don't really have to prove that anymore. You're academically strong. I think just showing the confidence and, and, and getting to know my peeps here in the United States, how my American fellas behave, it's mm-hmm. going to be the key, right? Yeah. You're uh, going to be fine. Thank you very much. Um, no, I'm super happy to be here. For me, it's a big, like a huge opportunity. Uh, I am super, so happy. <laughs> I was telling everybody like, hey, I'm going to be in, in Dr. Osorio's podcast. <laughs> no, yeah. And, and this is what we do. <laughs> uh, we bring people here to tell us their experience. Yeah. And I think we need to learn from our, our, our own mistakes. My father yeah. always, always told me, hey, son. Don't do that because when I did it, mm-hmm. it went wrong. And I went ahead and did it despite the fact he told me not to. And guess what? It went wrong. So I think the mistakes and the good things that someone else has done, specifically with the experience that you have had, I think you're an expert and I think you're ready. We just need that one big break and it's going to happen. Otherwise, I'm just going to be calling them up myself. And this is only showing that it's not about you anymore. It's about yeah. helping yourself yeah. and helping our people. And that's the message that everybody out there has to understand that we're here for you guys. And we want people like you to approach me and tell me, hey, I think I can be part of this. I think I have a lot of things to say to my fellas across the world. You know, we have people that are listening to us in Congo, China, oh places gosh. that I have never thought possible that we're going to be uh, rich. It's been incredible. Obviously, I rely on on the likes, on the sharings, on the downloads to keep growing. And that's only make it better. And I want to make everybody aware. We're going to be rebranding. I think that the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Podcast is going to be, be more about Alonso Osorio, me, myself. And we're going to do a 360 degrees revamp on the website. It's going to be more responsive, more dynamic, and there is more to come. I actually last week got a, a whole of... A, 
Colombian web designer that is going to give me a whole audio and visual revamp and he's going to be phenomenal. So that's going to be happening probably within the next six months, that's not anytime awesome. soon, but uh, we have reached 5,460 downloads as of today, May 3rd. Oh and <laughs> and it's been super exciting to have you here. And when you talk about uh, countries, I'm just going to mention some of those. It's been phenomenal. And obviously, most of the downloads come from the United States. We have Colombia, India, Mexico, Nepal, Canada, Ecuador, Peru, Spain, Pakistan, Ireland, UAE, Guatemala, Puerto Rico, Egypt, the UK, Grenada, the Czech Republic, Tajikistan, Dominica, the Philippines, Vietnam, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, Ghana, New Zealand, Panama, Norway, Saudi Arabia, Australia, Barbados, Ethiopia, Israel, Sudan, Algeria, Portugal, Bangladesh, Nigeria, Germany, Ukraine, Jordan, the Russian Federation, Argentina, Bahrain, France, Sweden, Italy, Honduras, Venezuela, Kenya, Sri Lanka, Turkey, no. Bolivia, Costa Rica, Malaysia, <laughs> Brazil, Qatar, and it keeps going. Oh my God, everywhere. <laughs> I never thought that with 5,000 downloads, I was going to reach so many people. So anyway, that's a lot of talking for now. We're going to leave you guys. You're my superstars. Please give me some feedback. Reach out to me. Send me an email. Remember, Alonso J. Osorio at fmg-imgcast.com. That's the easy way to get a hold of me. And just feel free to kind of find me up through my Facebook group as well and leave me a message and I'll reply back to you as soon as possible. Dr. Rodriguez, thank you so much and showing your passion through the show. Thank you. And well, I want to tell everyone that they are not alone. They have to just keep trying. If they want to reach me, I will be happy to help them. And also I want to invite them to be part of my group. Tell us more about it. How get a hold of you through your group? Where do I so, go to? You can uh, look for it in Facebook. The name of the group is USA Residency Match Name Never Give Up. And you're the organizer. Fantastic. So, organizer. well, I'm <laughs> going to put it down here, okay. our podcast link and Dr. Daniela Rodriguez contact information. And let's keep growing this community. Thank you all. And we'll stay in touch, Superstar. Dr. Rodriguez will be back next episode, hopefully soon. Okay. God bless you all. <laughs>